it's going to sound like an accusation that you've done something or you're still doing something and you need to be able to sit there and go, okay, it's true that I have lied, but I am not lying right now. So the old me, I can throw that guy under the bus because he did some awful stuff. He left me in a bad place and he took my wife to the cleaners. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men. I'm really excited about this one. <clears throat> I really love having couples on the podcast because I feel like it sort of um, gives a window into a real couple's experience, which is something I think we don't get very often in life. We sort of are friends with people and we see the relationship from their perspective, but we rarely get a sort of holistic view of a relationship. So um, I want to say thank you to Jay and Lori Pyatt. Thank you for being my guests today. Thanks thank for you. having us on. Yeah. So um, Jay and Lori are relationship experts and mentors for couples who are coming back from betrayal, mm -hmm. um, specifically around porn addiction and things of that variety, which we're going to talk about today. So um, I would love to hear from you two, just as we're starting, um, what happened in your own relationship personally that sort of brought you to this point? Yeah. Wow. Um, before Lori and I got married, I had told her that I had a problem with pornography that I was trying to deal with. And um, this was 1994 when she and I first started dating. And that's the year that the internet came online. So pornography became very mainstream at that point. And uh, I have a background in computer science, so I was working around computers all the time. And my thinking was a healthy marriage would solve my problem with pornography because we would have regular sex and Therefore, pornography wouldn't um, be a part of my life. She also said to me, you know, as long as we can talk about it, as long as you're willing to have discussions with me over this, we can move forward. And I was convinced that I would be able to talk to her about it. I was convinced that marriage would solve the problem. And within six months of getting married, I realized that I was self-deceived in both of those areas because mm -hmm. pornography is not simply about sex. It's about uh, intimacy connection disorder that I had that made going back to it uh, something I, you know, I did habitually that I couldn't figure out how to disconnect from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really interested in that. I, I mean, first of all, that's, I think it's impressive that you 
discussed it with her because I think you know in a lot of relationships it's sort of this secret that's kept for a really long time and I'm curious like Lori what was that like for you when he brought it up and like how did he bring it like how did that discussion go I'm so curious I honestly don't even remember that discussion uh I think because pornography hadn't like I didn't know much about it and I think I knew what it was but I think probably because he said it was internet porn. I didn't even really know what the internet was at that point. So I was like, well, I don't, I don't understand. The thing though, was I had been cheated on in a private uh, previous relationship and pornography to me was one step shy of that. Like I just kind of instinctively knew that it could lead to affairs. So I really wrestled when he started uh, when he started talking about marriage, I was like, you know, put the brakes on. So I, um, you know, went to my higher power and really wrestled with him and went to my spiritual mentors and all signs pointed to, and some kind of miraculous signs pointed to going for it. So I thought, okay, I'll marry him. At least I have a guy who's fighting it, who doesn't want this in his life. Because at that point, I was starting to hear, wow, it's really kind of common. And number two, at least we can talk about it. And number three, at the very least, I will get over my fears of winding up alone, you know, being cheated on and winding up alone. So took a leap of faith and went for it. And Jay, at that point, like, was that a difficult conversation to have with her? Like, were you like open with anyone in your life about it or how was that for you? Um, Surprisingly, I was open with a couple of guys about it. Uh, And, you know, I really thought that being with her would help me kick this whole issue. And the more I talked about it, at least at that time would, (laughs) was healthy and was something I was willing to do. But six months into our relationship, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. I, you know, that whole shame thing kicked in. I didn't want to look at um, that part of my life, at least not with Lori. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing was, you know, we, I went into it thinking, yeah, we're going to be able to talk about this. And Almost immediately, it was within probably two two weeks of marriage, we just started fighting about it a mm. lot. I can't say it was every night. Um, started fighting about it a lot. And then um, I got put on some, uh, I guess, antidepressants. And I kind of just zoned out and numbed out. Interesting thing was the conversations about it stopped at that point at, at six months. But... Um, that's when he started having interest in other women at work. And I didn't know about this until later, but this kind of an interesting way all that worked. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious in the original fights, like what, what was the, what did that sound like? Like, was it like, you need to stop and, and Jay, you'd be like, no, I mean, I'm sure it was more complicated than that. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know if it was about stopping. It was more about, being vulnerable, being Mm -hmm. vulnerable to the questions and hearing from Lori 
her fears, her concerns, mm-hmm. and um, dealing with my own blind spots of stuff that I was still um, allowing into my life that, from her perspective, looked very dangerous. And I was just not willing to really see that or, mm-hmm. or hear. You know, I kept telling her, no, I'm fine. You, you know, I'm not looking at porn, so I must mm-hmm. be okay. Yeah, I think on my end, it was like, hey, how's that going? And then, you know, I was just like, we talked about it before and we, you know, got married thinking we would continue talking about this. So let's continue the conversation. And then it would just quickly escalate. I don't know if it was because I honestly don't know when he started acting out again after we got married. So I don't know if it was that. It hit me the other day. I've never asked that question. Someday I need to ask him that. But, um, and I don't even know if he could tell me. He's over here shaking his head no. Uh, but for me, it was like, you know, hey, how's it going? And But it would just quickly escalate into something like a hot topic. And yeah. it's like, hold on a second. I thought we could talk about this. Yeah. So it was more like, hey, how's that going? And then he would say, I don't want to talk about it or it's fine. Or right. It's okay. Got it. Got it. He did it another way. Yeah. Okay. So now it's six months in Mm -hmm. and what happens? I think we kind of fell into a rut for the, until we were at two years of marriage. And then I found something on the computer and he said he would quit. And like, I, I found his search history and I think that's when he learned how to erase his search history. And then we moved and I still felt like something was up. And so I confronted him again and he said, yes, he was still acting out. And then at five years, you want to take the story from here? Yeah. Five years um, was the only time in our marriage that I confessed that I was back to using porn. And um, that didn't go well. I mean, the, the confession was not the uh, um, hallelujah moment that she needed. She was very upset about it because I had been lying the whole time. Yeah, he actually said... Um, I never really quit the uh, yeah, last time. Yeah, I never time. really I just, quit, even though I've been telling you I had. So Yeah. So a big part of the reason why pornography is a problem is not simply the pornography. When you're actively lying about it. It's creating a deception in the other person and, and deception in marriage is really unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So it's not really a, an, an issue that porn is unhealthy, but how I was using it. And from my personal perspective, I think pornography is unhealthy for a number of reasons, but for other people, if they're okay with it and they're not being deceptive, it may not be an issue the way it is for me and Lori. Yeah, so that's kind of our disclaimer. We are, we're going to be talking from our own story and from the story of the people who, like our clients, um, we're not saying, you know, we have this railing judgment against pornography or, or uh, even using it in marriage. We've just found that it can quickly spiral out of control, and those are the people we're, we're, uh, we're working with. So yeah. that's what we're going to be basing our talk off of, right. not like we're against yeah. Yeah. I thank you for saying that too about the, the lying part, because I think 
like part of what I'm hearing is uh, a woman's spidey sense is telling her there's something wrong. And she's checking in with him like, hey, it feels like there's something wrong. And he's shutting her down or shutting her out. Like, everything's fine. I've got it under control. I told you it's done. And her, but her spidey sense keeps saying it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is very damaging. That feeling of, I, I I can feel there's something wrong, but when I bring it up with my partner, I get shut out. So thank you for speaking to that because I think that's a common experience. A lot of people have in relationship, Mm -hmm. whether it's about porn or something else. Mm -hmm. And that is damaging that sense of like, ugh, like I can just feel it. And my partner's not affirming it. I feel crazy. That's I feel crazy. Starts. Yeah, that's where the trauma starts setting in. That's one of the things that can trigger it. Yeah, and the that shutting her down is a polite way of saying it. I would say horrible things to get the spotlight off of me and get her to shut up. I really did not want to talk about this. I, I wanted everything to just go back to normal. My fear, that voice of shame in my head said, if I agree with what she's saying to me, then we're both going to know what kind of monster I truly am, and she's going to leave. Mm-hmm. So if I let her keep going down this path and I validate what she's saying, then I'm a... I'm not just agreeing with her that what I've done is wrong, but I'm basically saying I'm a monster and you should leave me. Hmm. I've done horrendous things, not just the porn, but the lying to you. And then all of the anger and all of the horrible conversations around it that were all my defensiveness trying not to go here. I'm, I'm an awful human being and you should leave. And, <laughs> and if I thought that, I would have left. I'm right, like, like right. you think more horribly about yourself than I do of your actions. And right. so that was that that took some working through. Yeah, it really did. Um, yeah, let's talk about the working through because I'm curious. So this I mean, this was going on for years. And then what <clears throat> kind of finally sort of led to a shift or it brought things to a head. Right. The So. Mm-hmm. At year five, that was the year that I confessed. And then I had a six-year period of sobriety. And during that six-year period, we really didn't talk about this. I didn't do anything to rebuild trust, but I was clean. And I kept thinking, as long as I'm clean, everything will be better. And somewhere in there, Lori became my accountability partner. She was the person I was saying... And I was literally saying this to her face every morning. I will not look at pornography today. And if I do, I'll let you know about it tonight. And I would come home. And I would, I would tell her I didn't look at pornography today. And at some point in there, it became a lie. And it became a lie for four straight years that I lied to her face almost every single night. And at one point she said to me, I don't think you should call this your issue anymore because from her perspective, she thought I was almost 10 years clean. 
And that just made me double down. It's like, there's no way I can tell her the truth now because she thinks I've been clean this whole time. And that's, it's just awful. And so uh, around um, early 2010, she started to get some signals that Spidey sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I actually told him twice that because at that point, this is, 2008, there was a Barna study done that showed uh, of uh, American, it was like, it was one of the American Psychological Associations, uh, one of those that, that commissioned a study, and they found that 80 to 90% of all the guys used porn on a regular basis. And so here Jay is telling me every night he hadn't struggled at the end of four years. I did think he had been clean for almost a decade. And so he'd been telling me this for four, for four years. And so I was like, I don't, I I think you're kind of killing it. I think you're one of the top 10% of guys that aren't using this. And I told him that a couple times and I was just like really impressed. And then something started feeling off. So I, I can still see myself in the target gardening area, sitting down on one of the lawn chairs that they had out on the display, talking to my friend going, I think he's gotten back into it because something feels off. So I thought he had been into it like for maybe a month or something. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I guess I'll talk to him. Like I always try to, but this time I used a different tool and it's a tool that I allow my client or I I give to my clients um, when they are ready to have the like, come to Jesus moment or like, like, let's get real moment. Um, and I took that communication to him and he said, uh, he said, give me 24 hours to think about it. And so I did. And he came back and said, you're right and you're wrong. And I thought, Oh, here we go. Here we go. We're not going to be able to talk about it again. And then um, he said some really hurtful things just moments after that, and that led to a four-hour conversation, but it also led to the start of our healing because I said, God, if I'm going to stay, like, I don't even know if I like this guy enough to stay, but if I'm going to, I've got to do this differently because I've tried to do it the quote-unquote right way. I've tried to watch my faith like have more faith, which was told in our, our spiritual circles a lot. Um, that was the message I got from, from there. And I was told, um, oh, work on your codependency. Well, I did. And those things worked in other relationships, but it wasn't working here. It, it led to enabling here, and it led to a marriage that was almost breaking up. So I said, God, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it differently. And I just felt this green light, you know, like, oh, finally, kind of a thing. And so what would happen was I would just kind of research techniques and uh, communication methods to get past our, our current breakdown. And those would work for a while, and then they would stop working. And I'd be like, okay, I tried if you're going to say this, God, you need to come through. And that's within typically about 15 minutes to an hour. Um, uh, the answer, the cure for that breakdown would come through. And we'd kind of go on this honeymoon period. And then another breakdown 
mm-hmm. or another kind of hot topic that we've been dealing with for all of our marriage would come up, same exact process, and that one would get clear, you know, cleared up. So then we'd go into another um, honeymoon period, the whole cycle over and over again. Well, after about three, three and a half years, we started doing really well. It's like we're cleaning up a lot of our hard talks. We're cleaning up a lot of our horrible, t- horrible yeah. issues. And we've learned a lot of things on the way. Um, so now the things that the things that we learned late that were kind of the key, we now put early in the process with our clients. Um, so that's that's how we got better. And I want to back up because my story and all this kind of starts before uh, I even met my husband. And that's when I came to a a more personal relationship with my higher power. And after a couple of years, I was like, what's my purpose? And I I felt inside my soul the words, your purpose in life is to have a great marriage and to help other people do the same. And so for me, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm bored with that. But I didn't know how difficult it would be to, number one, have a great marriage, and number two, come anywhere near to helping other people do the same. And that's where I kind of think we were, our healing was the way it was, was because if it came naturally, you know, if it was easy for me to have a great marriage, then um, I wouldn't know what to tell other people. Yeah, and I want to back up to what you said about the... um you said you researched a tool or something. Mm-hmm. What what actually was that? What 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 did you do? Oh gosh, it it really depended on the thing. I would just kind of just okay. Um, here's the breakdown. Like sometimes it was like I'll give you something specific. He said uh, you don't respect me, and that's why I turned to porn. And he started using all these, you know, quoting all these books. And I went to those books and I found out, okay, what do they say, though, when the guy isn't showing up a certain way? It says this. And so then I would go, look, because you have to understand, we kind of had an abusive dynamic where he would say something that wasn't necessarily true. And I would fall for it hook, line, and sinker. So I would do this research to go, okay, let me listen to the experts versus this husband who's trying to come across like an expert and let me stand on what the experts say. So then I know I'm not going crazy, you know, Oh my gosh, why didn't I respect him more back back then? And is that, am I at fault for this? Well, no, hold on a second. The experts say it's very difficult to respect somebody who's, who's acting in disrespectful ways. So that's kind of a, that's kind of one of them, but it would, it would, solidify something in my mind that I was falling for like I, it was it would give me the truth for a lie I was falling for yeah um so hey. that's kind of one of them it's, it's a smaller one I wouldn't call that one of the key ones but it definitely uh turned things around another one that we found late in the game was the trauma model yeah. betrayal trauma the, the fact that betrayal can be traumatic depending on certain certain things in the relationship and this happened late late in our healing where we were good like we were I I knew we like 
we hadn't arrived or we hadn't, it wasn't like he couldn't ever stumble again, but I was like, we're doing good. And I, I, I can sense a change in him. And even if he goes back to that, I know I'm going to be okay. So I was at peace with my future finally. But then we'd be watching TV and I'd go in the other room and my heart would start pounding. It's like, why? I know he, I know he knows better than to try to find something. I'm just going in here to grab something. He knows I'm coming right back. Why am I so afraid? And it was like, it, it dropped into my consciousness. This is what they mean by betrayal trauma. This is the, the, the leftover P- PTSD that still needs to be healed. And once I realized that, it was like, oh, so there's, you know, there's, there's that. And then I could differentiate it. Okay, this is just PTSD. He's still doing good. We're still doing good. I'm going to be okay no matter what he chooses. But there's still this residual stuff kind of locked away that I need to start healing. So that's that's another one of the, the biggies that, that we found. Yeah, and, and Jay, I really... I loved what you said earlier about the sort of origin of the defensiveness being the shame. And I, I feel like that's kind of misunderstood. I think shame in general is misunderstood in a lot of ways, but I'm wondering as you two were going on this journey of communicating better, what was going on with your shame? Were you able to sort of express yourself around that more feel it more like what what was going on on your side oh wow um so my you know my struggle with pornography started when i was a young kid and exposed at an earlier at a very early age and it's common now that uh children are exposed on average around the age of 10 or 11, and it's tending to trend younger. So having been exposed so early, I've always felt like it was a flaw in my DNA, not just a habit that I fell into, but something because I've almost consciously dealt with it my entire life up until um, 2010. I must be somehow broken in my DNA that this is where I keep going. This is, you know, I can't um, love my wife enough to turn Mm -hmm. away from this. I can't connect with God enough to turn away from this. So I must be irredeemable. Mm -hmm. I cannot be saved. And that was the voice of what shame kept telling me. And really where the battle started to be won is the more vulnerable I got with Lori, the more she accepted me despite my flaws, the less that voice could blackmail me because I now had somebody who says, I know the truth Mm -hmm. and I still accept you. And so I taught the guys I talked to is, the antidote to shame is vulnerability and acceptance. You have to be vulnerable. I had to be vulnerable and share the truth of who I was with Lori. And when she accepted that, shame couldn't uh, hold a, a threat over me mm-hmm. anymore that, you know, I'm going to be rejected somehow. 
So the more that I was vulnerable, the more that I opened up to Lori, that openness is a huge requirement in rebuilding trust. But the more that I opened uh, and was transparent to Lori in what was going on for me, the more she could accept me, the more I felt accepted, the less the voice of shame kept manipulating my own thinking. And uh, there were even times where I would have to go back and, and say, okay, is this what you said? Because what the voice in my head hears is something completely different. And I, I, <laughs> I made that sound a whole lot better than it really was. I would blow up <laughs> and, and cause a lot of <clears throat> bad conversation. And then Lori would come back and say, that's not what I said in the first place. So she eventually came to me with scripts, mm -hmm. uh, everything written out so that I could read it and process on it without reacting mm -hmm. because it was just such a quick transition from mm -hmm. um, shame to uh, response. So. Right. And I mean, the scripts really help. So, um, so hopefully your, your listeners will get this, but, or, you know, we'll, we'll get how, how much they help. But for me, it was very much, you know, I, I, I'd read the script to him and he'd say, well, you're saying this about me. No. Can, I can you give an example of what, what a script would say? Like, well, I'm afraid be, that, yeah, like what exactly words are we talking about? I used one just the other day. Um, it was... Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect, but just like, yeah, I'm afraid would, that you're going to leave me because you're checking would, out women at work. Like, what, what, what would you would say? It would be more like, like a, a really good example that ties into all this would be like, I'm I'm feeling concerned because we can't even talk about the women you find attractive. Uh, you know that that conversation keeps getting shut down. So I feel like if if we can't even talk about that, then you're definitely not going to be talking to me about if you act it out. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So and when you say like, act it out, what you mean is watching porn. Or, yeah. yeah, or, like, pursuing women at work. Okay. Right. Okay. That, you know, if if we can't even talk about just natural attraction that people have toward each other, then what about the big stuff? Right. right. You know, and yeah. what would you hear? Like, what would the shame have you hear in that, like, you're a terrible person, you're evil, you're trying to destroy this marriage? Like, what what was the, you know, yeah. translation <laughs> before yeah. the script? Right. Uh, so one thing I would hear is, Jay, just because you find other women attractive, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. You should okay. not find any other woman attractive on the planet besides me. Yeah. He, he actually told me, you're saying that men finding women attraction is wrong. And I'm like, no, I'm saying it's natural. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And, and I mean, we went through, we went over this conversation several times. Yeah. And then. Okay. So the shame voice was basically. I'm bad. Oh, I am yeah. a bad, bad person. And right. so everything was sort of getting filtered through that filter. So yep. it would, input would be, I'm afraid that we can't talk about this. And output would be, you're, you're bad. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm right. bad. Okay, got it. Right. And, and, you know, the first thing I tell guys is 
the voice of judgment that you've got to turn off first is self-judgment. I judged myself so quickly as bad because of what I had done, you know, and, and a lot of the guys that are struggling with pornography or, or other addictive behaviors is very black and white thinking. Mm. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. And there's not a place of saying, this is not serving me well right now because it, you know, even things that you're strong in, if you take them too far, they can become a weakness. They can become, uh, you know, you can go from being entertaining to overbearing mm-hmm. because you're trying too hard. You, you've taken a strength and made it into a weakness. And so things that I had done to cope with life as a child were no longer serving me well. And so, the, you know, there are that, that place of, these things hurt and I don't want them to hurt anymore. And this is the solution I found. Now I need to find healthier solutions. I need Mm -hmm. to find a different way to do that without seeing it as not wanting to feel bad is bad. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. not wanting to feel bad makes me flawed. So I, I needed to find a different way to say, okay, if I'm not feeling good, I can talk about it with Lori or I can talk about it to my guy friends, or I can go for a run, or, you know, I can do something so much healthier and engage with life as opposed to isolating and, and trying to deal with it on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, because <clears throat> at least from what I've seen in my work with men, pornography is often used as a way of numbing and escaping Mm-hmm. Um, and checking out and, and sort of in that way, you know, it's similar to marijuana, eating, watching Netflix, you know, you, you alcohol, whatever right. a drug you choose, but it, it, it seems like there's this extra layer with pornography yeah. where there's extra shame attached. It's like a double whammy of there's the addiction, but then there's also the shame about the addiction because of what the addiction is. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so what I'm hearing is like, if there was a trigger or you weren't feeling like you were feeling useless or hopeless or bad in some way that you started to share that with your guy friends or with Lori instead of going to porn. Is that what I'm hearing? Or what was the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. That's definitely it. I'd like to say something because I think you hit on a really good point that there is this extra layer of shame. I remember watching a movie and there was an alcoholic who was standing in front of a rack, you know, a, a store rack full of alcohol and he just turned and called his sponsor. And what hit me then in that moment was if uh, a porn addict was standing in front of a rack of magazines, I don't know that it would be that easy. Right. to to call his sponsor just right. because of that extra layer of, of of shame and then you know there's also the extra layer of hiddenness if there's if this is happening within relationship mm-hmm. you know it's it's like the difference between an alcoholic going to 
uh, a bar where there's no other women versus an alcoholic going to a bar where there's it's a party atmosphere and there's a bunch of scantily clad women and everybody just kind of throwing at themselves at each other. You know, there's there's a different element. You know, if I had had my uh, my pick, I would have much rather Jay had an addiction that didn't involve other women. You know, because that would that wouldn't have been it wouldn't have hit so personally. Right, so, because it triggers the other person too. Right, yeah, because right. So now okay, if my man is using porn. Does that mean I'm not attractive enough? Does mm-hmm. it mean that I'm, you know, I'm not good enough? The sex isn't good enough. I'm not good yeah. enough in bed. Yeah, um, I don't look, is good, he, enough. I don't look yeah. good enough. Like mm-hmm. I'm not enough, which yeah. that that trigger is not necessarily present when the addiction is marijuana or alcohol right. or Netflix right. or right. or um, video games. It's right. like this extra thing that's like so now both people are triggered. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point about the uniqueness of porn mm-hmm. addiction mm-hmm. is that there's such an element for both people of um, toxic shame. Cause really what we're talking about is toxic shame. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys are, you know, shame experts, but just for those listening, you know, shame in general as an emotion is not necessarily bad. Like I, you know, I did something like I borrowed my roommate's car without asking and something happened and I'm ashamed. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's valuable information because I shouldn't have done that. I should have asked. And so I'm ashamed and I go and I say, I'm sorry, I did this thing. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. That's not toxic shame. That's shame over something I did. Mm -hmm. Toxic shame is I'm bad. Right. 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 Which which is what you were speaking to Jay, which is like, there's something wrong with me. Like there's something wrong with my DNA. I'm flawed as a person, as a human being, there is something wrong with me. That's called toxic shame. And that's not, that doesn't serve like anyone really, because it's not, there's nowhere to go from there. Right. With the, I've, you know, messed up my roommate's car. There's actions I can take and there's things I can do, but with toxic shame, there's a sense of hopelessness and powerlessness. And obviously it's not true. Toxic Mm -hmm. shame isn't, it's not true. No one is, no one is that flawed. No one is that bad. There isn't, that's not, it's not real. Right. Um, right. And so I'm curious, you know, as we're going to start to transition into how you two work with couples, um, I'm wondering like when you started to recover from this, um, I'm sure it was a process. And um, Jay, I'm just wondering like on your part, like how, how is that now in terms of the, the toxic shame part? Like, is it sort of like a, oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the shame coming up. I'm going to talk to, talk to someone. Like, what is the process like for you now? Uh, it's, it's really kind of funny, Melanie. The, to me, the shame is kind of like the voice of blackmail. If you, if anybody finds this secret out, you're going to be destroyed. So you're going to keep paying me $10,000 a month to keep your secret. The easiest way to um, get out of a blackmail situation is to tell the truth. Just tell your secrets and then nobody can blackmail you anymore. Um, my, my story's out there. Uh, there's a few people that were upset about it, but... Um, and it still impacts me to share what I did. I'm, I'm sensitive to it. But the more that I've told my story, the more that I'm out there, 
I really don't get shame triggered that much anymore because Lori accepts me, the people I help accept me, the people I work around accept me. So I've built such a good network of support Mm -hmm. around me who accept me and know everything Mm -hmm. that, okay, yeah, I did something stupid. I can own it. I can walk away from it. I don't have to see it as my DNA is broken, but I can see it as I didn't, I didn't ever learn this particular skill. I didn't know how to deal with this particular situation. And uh, for guys, I think the three hardest words for guys to say is not, I love you, but it's, I need help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so when they're willing to finally say, I need help, that humility can fight shame when they're vulnerable and they're getting acceptance and so on. And uh, now I stay in regular contact with a number of people because for my own sobriety to, to deal with my own issues, I do need that circle of mm-hmm. support. There's not going to be a day that I say, I no longer need help. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's going to be the day that things are going to go terribly off off track. But yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, by by continuing to say to other people, "Here's what's going on for me." Um, even in my group, you know, I I run groups for guys where we sit down and we have um, uh, check-in questions. Yeah, we have these check-in questions at the beginning. And I answer those questions too. I'm not above mm-hmm. answering my own questions of where is my sobriety today? Just yeah. because I'm running the group doesn't mean I, I, I'm mm-hmm. not above asking those questions or answering those questions. And um, anyway, so while shame occasionally tries to, to come out, I'm, I'm so out there now that it's... <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm pretty okay with anything at this point, and so I don't see it as a fundamental flaw, but just me being me. Oh, I really like that. I like the the me being me part, and yeah. I really liked what you said about blackmail. Like I've never thought about it like that, but I've done, you know, my own research around shame, and what part of what really struck me was shame is one of the. Um, so we all have emotions and there's a whole range of emotions, but there's something unique about shame in that it's relational. It's relational. So like it, it, it's because we think we're bad or wrong or toxic, you know, as, as a a comparison to other people and the, the solution to it, like you said, is to share with someone and be accepted. Mm -hmm. So there's a relational, like, like you can move a lot of anger on your own, right? You can express anger. You can scream in your car. You can move a lot of energy on your own, but there's something about shame in particular mm-hmm. that you really need the loving presence of another human being right. to right. help, help heal that. So it's, it's right. its own unique little feeling over here. That's like, wow, it really requires love. It really does require being seen and sharing and being accepted because right. obviously, you know, sharing and not being accepted, that doesn't help. That's, that's not going to help right. the shame. But right. sharing with a safe person and being yes. accepted and kind of outing yourself, like you said, 
that is the solution. And that is, you know, can be the scariest part, Mm -hmm. but it's also, it's very effective. And it just really struck me what you said about like, yeah, it's the same as actual blackmail. It's the the same thing, right? Like, what is the solution? Tell the truth. They can't blackmail you if you if you show the photographs. You're like, here's what happened. (laughs) Not going to pay you for the photos anymore because they're (laughs) printed in the freaking newspaper. Um, Yeah, I just really love that as a story. And I I just also really want to acknowledge you for your bravery, because this is an incredibly brave thing that you're doing. And Lori, that you you are doing as well. And it's helping I mean, thousands of people at this point, I don't know what your reach is, but I'm sure you've reached thousands. And I feel like this is one of those things that uh, when there is a pioneer and there's someone who has come before, it makes it just so much easier for the people that are coming after. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to hear a little bit about that as we're, we're starting to wrap up of like, you guys work with couples around this now and you Mm -hmm. have a model and you mentioned at the end, the trauma, trauma recovery model. I think that's the, the basis of your work. Can you sort of outline how you work with couples? Sure. Um, well, we can work with individuals too. Like Jay has several individuals and I've worked with individual women, but we feel like our sweet spot is the couples and the trauma model. Um, it's, it's the basic trauma model, but the one I, the one I follow is, uh, has to do with you know, the betrayal trauma model, but the basics of just any trauma model is stabilization is the first phase. The second phase, the way I see it is everything she needs to start setting boundaries. And then the third phase is relational healing. So, you know, we'll get through the first and second phase. Um, Typically, if we stay on topic and there's not a whole lot of breakdown currently in the relationship, then we could get through it in three or four months, um, what took what took me fifteen years to get through to this point uh, took uh, you know we can get through in, in three or four months. Um, wow, that's and if can- we that's if we stay on task. But then, like right before we get on, we call them two on twos, or we start working on the relationship, and, and we're looking for stuff on the guys end too. Right. Uh, if he's working with Jay, you know, we're looking, and if he's not working with Jay, then I'm looking for okay. What is she saying about him? Because she's the best witness. She'll pick up if things are still off. And I'll hear that on our calls. But anyway, right before we get on two on twos, I'm like, okay, are you really, are you ready to see where he's really going to land? I want it in writing because it's going to go off the rails. It can get bad. Like it's healing her and getting her ready for an awesome life. That's the easy part. Getting Jay, getting a guy free from his addiction is easier than the relationship dynamic because once you know he the guy doesn't have his numbing medication anymore he doesn't necessarily have communication tools anymore but we're having them deal with the deepest darkest problems in their relationship so it can get kind of hairy yeah yeah and you so just to clarify you when you're working with a couple the two of you will work with each of them separately yeah Yes. So you're working, Lori, you're working with the woman and Jay, you're working with the man yeah. right. for a couple months. Yep. For, yeah, for probably a good four months at yeah. least. I mean, that's what we tell them to, to, to shoot for. Um, it's gone longer. We've had some yeah, uh, that are at eight or nine months now because and, 
because of how deep the trauma is or how stuck the guy is, whatever or, it might be. Yeah, or how many breakdowns they're currently having. Because it's it's one thing to go, hey, let's work on your vision. And she's sitting there crying because of something that just happened. You know, that's going to, the, the current the current injury is going to take our attention, but we've also had couples get through in six, the whole entire pro, uh, program in six months. Yeah. So it, it really varies couple to couple. And Jay, when you're working with these men, wh- are you seeing patterns in terms of what they're numbing from? Yeah. Um, That's a great question. Yeah. So one of the founders in sexual addiction recovery is a guy named Mark, Mark Laser um, with two, L, two A's. So Laser with two A's. Um, and what he says in his work is universally, every one of these guys deals with an abandonment issue. How that shows up is a little bit different, but in many ways, I see that, that the guys are struggling with abandonment, but most of what I see is they don't have an intimate connection that's healthy with a parent, with a sibling, with a friend, that there's something about connecting in a healthy way. And I'm not talking intimate as in sex. I mean, talking intimate as in getting to know another person in a healthy way. They don't have that. And they don't know how to get that. It's a, a foreign language to them because something happened along the way where they were looking for that connection and it got broken. And in order to cope with it, they turned to something that was the, the junk food version of that, which to mm-hmm. me, pornography is the junk food version of intimate connection. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I'm I'm getting to see someone's nakedness, their vulnerability is being shared with me and it costs me nothing. So I'm getting some type of intimate connection that really isn't there. And so, you know, I that's one of the things I work with guys on is building a network of connections, helping them feel more confident in their conversations. Uh, you know, because I work with guys that are single, um, from my youngest guy is 22. My oldest guy is 65, you know, so this is not, this is not a problem of the internet age. This is a problem of every guy. And it's even becoming a problem for women. Women are the most targeted audience because 80 to 90% of all men are watching porn on a regular basis. 30% of women are now watching porn on a regular basis. And some of them are finding um, the same addictive challenge that the guys are having. And there's just fewer resources for the women right now. So the pattern I'm seeing is that the guys come to me either their relationship is about to end because their wife, their girlfriend has said, you know what, I'm so tired of competing with somebody else in this relationship that you need to quit or I need to leave. Or like the guy, the young single guys that come to me are typically, um, they may have done something that frightened them. 
because there is stuff in pornography that is illegal, is very exploitative. You know, I mean, and it just freaks them out and they're like, I need help. I need some kind of help because this is scaring me. Or they're realizing, um, you know, you mentioned this, the erectile dysfunction. They're not able to perform with a real woman because their mind is so stuck in the pornography that they don't, they don't know how to experience like a connection with somebody real. And so they, they want to break this habit before they get into a relationship, before they move on. And they really do want to have that intimate connection. But again, it's, it's such a foreign language. And so that's a lot of what I help them with on, on that side. And then when it comes to the guy who's, whose wife is about to leave, his girlfriend's about to leave, um, I have uh, the basics of rebuilding trust, which is a video series we did. Um, the basics of rebuilding trust, I walk them through what I believe are the eight major things they need to be working on in order to rebuild trust because they think like I did, I quit porn. Everything's fine now. Yeah. Why is she still harping on this? Yeah. Why is she still upset? I quit. And it's, and there's a lot more to it than that. And they just don't see that. So one thing I want to point out is the, that video series will work no matter where the woman is as far as the three phases, because again, the relationship healing phase is the third these are things he can do just to start kind of paving the way for uh, for healthier connection later on down the road when she's at a place of being ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a complex issue because like you said, there's the man's journey, his whole journey around this and building healthy, intimate relationships with other men or other, you know, other, you know, other people in his life, not just his partner. And then there's, there's her side, Mm -hmm. which is if you, you know, if you've been lied to for a while, you're, yeah, you're walking on eggshells or you're tiptoeing around, or you're sort of in a constant state of um, hypervigilance. Like, is it going to happen again? Is it going to happen again? Is it it happening now? Is it happening now? Is it happening now? Mm -hmm. And that takes a long time for a nervous system to, to release that trauma and to come back to, stasis. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think if, if, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's like one of those things that's sort of hard for each side to necessarily grasp, yeah. um, which is why it's so important to have discussions like these and to have coaches like you or mentors like you to kind of help guide people because it can be very disorienting. You know, like you said, Jay, if he's like, I, I quit, I don't get it. Like, why, why is this still a thing? Mm-hmm but her nervous system isn't reset yet. It's still, it's still expecting the worst at kind of every moment, even in normal moments, perhaps especially in normal moments or good moments. Mm-hmm. And for him, that's disorienting. Of Like, why are you, I don't understand. Like we're having a nice weekend. What, mm-hmm. <laughs> why is this coming up? Like, you know, like I imagine it would be confusing on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for anyone going through it, that's, that's normal. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing to, remember. Right. That is very normal. And, and for the couples that, you know, that are, um, you know, that the guy kind of gets it and he's like, I want to, I want to do better. And he's truly humble. 
that's how it works out. But the other thing that's happening in, and we see it in about 99% of the clients who come to us, there's an anger issue that comes up. Even in the nicest of guys, even in the most laid back of guys, um, when he's found out or when she starts using her voice, and that's why, well, when she starts using her voice, his anger issues show up. And she's like, I never knew that was in him. I don't even know him anymore. And that's one of the reasons I ask her, are you ready to see where he's really going to land? Because typically when, when we start working on the relationship, that again, 99% of the time we see that come up. And we've heard other therapists who work with addicts say the same thing. 100% of the, the clients that come to us with a porn addiction have anger issues. Yeah. So that that absolutely also why she's saying well, I don't know that she she'll be saying this, but that's also one of the reasons why it's not getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Is he still angry even, you know, he's not using his medication, so he's just spewing anger on everybody oh, yeah. around him. Yeah. You know, some guys are some some clam up, which is bad too because it's like well now he's pulled away from me so is he using or not using right. and, yeah. and he's isolated again and and it same kind of trigger problem mm-hmm. and your in your experience working with the anger jay what have you found to be effective there oh uh i think a lot of it can be truth just telling him yeah. the truth about how she feels and she really does love you and right oh, yeah sorry. you know yeah. well the the anger is I think around that whole ownership, I don't want to own the type of monster I am. And you keep bringing this to me. At one point I said to Lori, why do you keep bringing this up to me? It's like, you just want me to see how awful I really am. And the the reality is she was saying, no, I want you to see how hurt I am. And me as a guy, you know, we're much more sensitive to aggression And so she would bring me hurt and I would see aggression and I would respond to that in an aggressive way, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being able to sit there and say, and I tell my guys this, you've got to see the invitation inside the accusation. It's going to sound like an accusation that you've done something or you're still doing something and you need to be able to sit there and go, okay, it's true that I have lied but I am not lying right now. So the old me, I can throw that guy under the bus because he did some awful stuff. He left me in a bad place and he took my wife to the cleaners. So I can throw that guy under the bus and say, you're absolutely right. I have lied to you so many times. I don't, you know, let's talk about that. But the anger comes from this kind of sense of being accused Mm when they're not really doing anything quote unquote wrong anymore. And so the guy, he has a really hard time figuring that out because he's both the perpetrator and the healer. Mm. And he's got to almost be schizophrenic in dealing with the perpetrator side of him and, and separate that so that he can let go of the anger when she says, you did this and you're doing this and, and this and that. Because trauma doesn't have a timeline. When Lori would bring stuff to me, it wasn't because I did it today. It was because it happened years ago, but it's re-triggered now. And from the guy's perspective, it's, but, 
where are we on the timeline? You know, we're three years past that moment. Why am I still hearing about it? And it's like, that's how trauma works, man. (laughs) There's no timeline. You've got to just keep speaking to it. Yeah. And it occurs to me that, you know, that moment, Lori, that you described going to the kitchen and your heart is racing and you're, Mm -hmm. you're having a, you're having a moment, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot of us men or women tend to, um, Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's not a big deal. I'll just deal with it. Instead of the possibility of going into the other room and saying, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling really anxious. Something's happening for me. Can you come over here and hold me? Mm-hmm. And the same thing come. for the man too, of like when he's having a moment and he's, you know, instead of isolating, coming in and saying, I'm having a moment, mm-hmm. I, can you come over here and, and hold me? Mm-hmm. That right. if both partners are able to do that, when things come up in life, which inevitably they do because right. life is stressful, mm-hmm. that is a solution. And it's a pretty simple one because all it requires is for you to be tracking your body and your nervous system and to grasp, like, I'm having an experience right now and let go of, I shouldn't be having this experience. We just had such a nice night. You know, all of the things that we say, like letting go of those and sitting with the truth of, I am freaking out. My stomach is in knots. I, I'm having trouble breathing or, or my heart is racing or whatever, like, and reaching out to the person that right. loves us and says, I'm having an experience can you come out and hold me? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause it yeah. sort of cuts right to like, here's the experience I'm having. Here's the experience I'm needing. Mm-hmm. Can you provide that to me? Right. And I think you make a really good point. Um, you know, the uh, requesting what you need. I think that's one thing that a lot of women forget. I think just because we were so, women are fairly good at relationship. And if our friend comes to us and says, you did this and I feel bad, we know how to respond. We, our friend doesn't have to request what she needs. We just kind of, not all the time, but, but some of the time we really know how to respond. And I think what we don't understand is guys don't necessarily know that. So you make a great point to request what you need, request what you need. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. So we're going to start to wrap up here. Um, I'm wondering how people can reach you if they're interested in working with you. And um, <clears throat> you mentioned a video series about rebuilding trust. Can you just explain that sure. a little bit? Yeah. Sure. So the basics of rebuilding trust is a four part video series that we have for sale. Um, it's about two hours long. Yeah, two, two and a half hours long. Yeah. Broken up and, into four parts. Right. Um, there's a Q&A phase. There's a part where Lori talks about what's how to respond for women, what not to do wrong, <laughs> basically. Um, there's the part where I talk about those basics. And then the, the first episode is kind of an introduction and talks about the foundational basic, which is humility. You know, that idea that, I don't really know what I'm doing and I need some help here. So if you want to buy the video series, you want to connect with us, the place to start, our website is thecouplecure.com and then put slash all, A-L-L at the end of that. And that will give you kind of the the best place to start to either connect with us. um, On the porn side. On the the betrayal side. Betrayal side, the porn side, or 
you know, these tools would work with any relationship mm-hmm. when you're having communication breakdown and so on. And so we have a podcast where we talk about that and, yeah. and that kind of thing. But the couplecure.com slash all is the best place to connect with yeah. us. And there are three, like if you dig around out there, you'll find three different free downloads that you can, you can get. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world and that you have both come through it. You know, I think it took a lot of resolve and perseverance and determination for you both to be here. And so I just want to say, I see that. I see that you are a testament to what partnership can be. Oh, that's great. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Just again, a quick note. If you're interested in the course, you can find it at pleaseherinbed.com, www.pleaseherinbed.com or at my site, melaniecurtain.com under courses and have a very sexy day.